Beautiful, Dorothy. Thank you. And it goes uh, so well with what we're talking about this morning. I've been doing a series on the greatness of God. And this week, once again, we want to look at Jesus Christ, God the Son. Um, Last week, we looked at His sacrifice. We looked at the cross, His love shown forth. And this week, we want to continue in that. But we want to talk about the cup that he drank, his willingness to follow. And uh, I know I have John chapter 18, verses 1 through 11 as primary passage, but I think for our scripture reading, which is also a significant part of the message, we want to look at Luke chapter 9. So I encourage you to turn there to Luke chapter 9. And we are going to look at verses 22. Twenty-four. I'm going to ask when you stand that to stand in the honor of our God as I read the text. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Let's pray. Lord, how wonderful it is to be here. And Father, we need to hear from you. Father, amazed uh, that you give me the privilege, Father, to share your truth. And of course, the truth is, unless you share through me, not much happens. So I just simply ask for your anointing. I ask that your spirit would be clear. And Lord, just that we would know you met us today. Uh, Father, we're grateful for Logan and her family and pray that you comfort her father as she is away for the next six weeks. Father, minister to her, Lord. Just love her. Thank you for her courage to say, pray for me. Here's where I am. Father, uh, develop her. Continue to make her into the woman you desire her to be. And do that in each of us, Lord. And I pray for the Saul's family. Ken's sister-in-law having surgery, Father, and them there to support them. But just bless them, Lord. And Father, we go on with others. There are needs here, Father, for the Saul's, uh, for the Saul family, Father, Doug and Mary and their son. And Father, we go on. And Lord, we just lift them up to you, Lord. Uh, help us, Father. Uh, show us you love us and uh, speak to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus said in John 3, verse 3, Unless a man's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, clearly tell us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine own heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with thy mouth confession is made unto salvation. Acts 16.31 tells us, Believe in the Lord Jesus, you and your household, and you'll be saved. There is a moment where we come to grips, where we see clearly 
that we need God in our lives, that we need to be forgiven, and that we are off the course He has for us, and that there has to be a way to be put on the right course. And that is the way of the cross. That is through Jesus Christ. And it's at that moment we bow our hearts and we bow our lives before He who is holy. And we say, God, you see my miss. You know who I am. Come into my life. Forgive me. Make me whole. God, do your mighty work within me. And at that moment, we call that conversion. We call that being born from above. We call that being born anew. And and we receive Christ into our lives. And guys, it is so precious when that occurs. It's a hope that is unshakable. It is a hope that we can cling to no matter what we face. Matter of fact, I love Romans 8, 38 and 39. Many of you guys know it. He says, For I am convinced that neither... Angels nor demons, neither the uh, present nor the future. Uh, he, he says, uh, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. His love is secure. Nothing can rip us from that love. Then there's John 10, 28 and 29. He says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my Father's hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. The, the basic line is, once God gets a hold of our life, you're safe, you're secure, and you're there in His love. Now, that's such a wonderful hope that we have. The message today... Um, that's where it begins, but that's not where the Christian life ends. And when I focus on the cup that he drank, the willingness of Jesus Christ to be the ultimate follower, the ultimate disciple, for that's what a disciple is. A disciple is one who follows. And our call is to follow. It's not just to enter the kingdom. It's to follow him. In the kingdom. And and we're going to look at that uh, today. And we serve a God who first served the Heavenly Father with all that He had. And our call is to follow Jesus like He followed the Father. Uh, There's a story about a young orphan boy. His parents were tragically killed in an accident. He went to live with his grandmother, the only relative that he had. And there was a house fire. And the grandmother tried to get up the stairs to rescue the boy, but she she didn't make it in trying to rescue him. She died. But there was a man outside of the house who heard the screams of the little boy who was trapped. And he climbed up the iron pipe on the side of the house and managed to get in the window and to rescue the little boy, and the little boy hung on around his neck for dear life as the man climbed back down that iron pipe. The tragedy, so much pain in that community as well as in that little boy's life, and there were several who wanted the little boy to stay with them. They wanted to adopt him. There was a, a farmer, there was a teacher that loved the little boy, and there was the wealthiest person in the community and they came and they pled their cases of why they would love to have this little boy in their home the whole time the little boy he just looked at the ground he didn't respond and then a stranger walked into the courtroom and he had his hands in his pockets and when he pulled his hands out of the pockets 
they were burned. And the little boy immediately noticed that this was a man who climbed up that hot iron pipe and saved him and came down that pipe. It was these marred hands that showed him the one who rescued him from the flames and he went and he grabbed him around the neck because this is the one who rescued him. This is where he wanted to stay. And that's the story of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he saw our plight. Man, we were headed toward the flames and that's what the Bible talks about that we're headed toward a place of eternal suffering and torment because we have sinned, we've transgressed, we've gone the wrong way, we've gone direction that's away from God. And so God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. And the call, guys, is not just fire insurance, though. The call is not just merely to escape the flames. It's to follow the One who rescued us. And that's what we want to look at this morning as we look in the Scriptures. In Romans 2, 1, it says we're without excuse. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. But praise be to God that He's provided a hope to us. And as we look in the Scripture, I want you to, we often don't think about Jesus and His humanity and how dedicated He was to follow the call of the Lord God, the Father. The Father called Him to the cross. The Father called Him to suffering. The Father called Him to be crushed. Following Jesus, to deeply know Him, means being willing to suffer. For He suffered. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That's the call. And we want to look at Jesus, the one who beautifully demonstrates that crushing. What does that mean? It means a willingness to not always have my way, but above all, to want his way to denounce my desires and to look to his desires, to want to please him above all else. Patrick Morley in his book, I Surrender, writes that he, he writes that the church's integrity problems and the misconception that we can add Christ to our lives but not tr- subtract sin. It's a change in belief without a change in behavior. He goes on to say it is revival without reformation, without repentance. Guys, the call of God changes us. Becomes the heartbeat. Because of the one who rescued us, it's, it's who we want to serve. It's where we want to go. It's who we want to be. And, and, and I'm looking at Luke 9, we'll spend some time there this morning. The text that we read, um, Jesus lays it on the line there as he reads in verse 22 of Luke 9. He says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He he tells them, I've come to suffer. Yes, he ends and he says, I'll be raised to life. But the last thing they wanted to hear is this idea of suffering, of the Lord God, of the Holy One, suffering, going through the pain. And he goes on and he talks to all of them 
No one's left out. Notice he's in verse 23. He said to them all. And notice three things here I want to look at briefly. He says, if anyone would come after me. In other words, if you want to be a disciple. And notice what our call is, the Great Commission. He, he doesn't say, go and make converts. He says, go and make disciples. Go though and make those who will follow me. Who will give it up for me. And what does he say here? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. That's the first thing. We must learn to deny self. It's one thing to see the obvious big sins in our life that stand out that are glaring. But God calls us to go beyond that. Not just the big obvious sins, but He wants us to dig deeper. Um... There's an example by Gordon MacDonald in his book, Ordering Your Private World, where he had inherited a, a beautiful piece of property. And he and his wife decided they wanted to build a house a certain place on the property. The only problem was that it was full of rock. And so they began moving some really large rocks and boulders out of the area. But he said that was really the easy part. He said once they moved those big rocks, they saw smaller rocks. And so then they moved those smaller rocks. But then there were pebbles that had to be cleared out. He said that was the hardest work. There were all these small rocks that they had never noticed until they got about the business of trying to clear that area so that it could be prepared for the house and that there could be a yard and that glass could be, grass could be planted. And all that took work. Now here's what he says. He says, uh, the first phase of the clearing process was easy. The big boulders were fast. When they were gone, we began to see that there were a lot of smaller rocks that had to go too. But when we had cleared the side of the boulders and the rocks, we noticed all the stones and pebbles we had not seen before. This was much harder, more tedious, but we stuck to it. And there came the day when the soil was ready for planting grass. Our lives are to be given to God and and, and help Him see areas that need to, to be given to Him where we need to deny self. Secondly, he He says to take up the cross. The word cross represents a deliberate decision to abandon one's own preferences and plans and to live with the pain all that entails. When you suddenly give your heart to really follow Jesus, things change. You don't want to be in the same places. You don't want to follow the same crowd. You don't have the same interests. When God begins to do a work in you, You see things differently. It's a natural longing. It says in Acts 5, uh, 29, it says Peter and the other disciples says, we must obey God rather than men. That's what God does as He begins to work in us to take up that cross. Do you remember? Remember Peter. Uh, He heard Jesus talk about how He was going to suffer. And... uh, He said, uh, Lord, no way, it can't be. And Jesus turned to him and he said, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) What happened? Peter wanted his will, not the Lord's will. Not the difficult time that was going to come to Jesus. He wanted that to bypass. He, He wanted to miss that. He wanted to sidestep it. But it was part of God's will, part of the cross. 
Vance Havner said it well. We need men of the cross with the message of the cross bearing the marks of the cross. That's what's needed. And then one last one here. A disciple must follow Jesus. Must follow Jesus. Notice he just simply says, to follow me. He says to all, to everybody, when I take up my cross, am I willing to be crushed? Being crushed is a training ground of growing close to the Savior. As the cross is grotesque suffering, it is not a decoration, it is not, as we talked about last week, it's not merely something to look at. It's a memory that it's a cross kind of death Jesus came. A horrible suffering in order to free us. And that's his message to us. And he calls us to follow him in that way. Imagine how the eleven felt when they heard this. And they were looking. Remember the sons of thunder. Their mom came in and said, uh, I want my boys to have a place when you're in glory on each side of you, a place of prominence. And yet Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you'll get a place of pain. We don't want to hear that. But that was, that was the call. That, that was the call of God. John R. Stott said this way, Jesus gave no encouragement to thoughtless applicants for discipleship. They want to be somewhat respectable, but not uncomfortable. Now, uh, When Jesus begins to get a hold of a person and you see things differently and you start thinking about eternity instead of the moment, it changes life. Some people think you're nuts. You've lost it. Think about Terry and Samantha. I thought about this. Uh, God had called them to go to a new place. So they start selling stuff. and Start saying, God, if you want me to keep this, uh, I want to keep it, but if you... Want me to sell it? Bring somebody to the door. And people kept coming to the door and buying stuff. You have to be careful when you talk to God that you're willing to really give it up. When God does that kind of a work, uh, general believers want fire insurance, but disciples are after Jesus. That's what we're talking about. All right, let's turn to John 18. I finally come there, guys. Um, and we are going to look at Jesus as the ultimate disciple, <laughs> as the one who fully gave it up, the one we're to follow. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. (laughs) On the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, weapons. You guys uh, know the scene. Um, the Lord's Supper's over, teaching in the upper room's past. Prayer in the garden has happened. And now they've come. They've come to take Jesus. They've come to arrest Him. Judas has come to betray him. Difficult time. Jesus, God, Jesus, though human, facing humanity. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? 
Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now what happened there? Maybe it was just as simple as they were amazed that the guy they were looking for, the guy they had came to arrest, the guy they had came to ultimately torture, would just volunteer and say, here I am. Maybe they fell down because they thought, what in the world is wrong with him? Why is he doing this? Why is he willingly giving himself up? Or maybe there was something significant about him where he stood out and they saw the glory of God and fell. I don't know. But the ultimate thing was this. He was willing to go to death out of obedience to God. He was willing to follow the Father no matter the cost. He was willing to face this horrendous, gory death because the Father sent him. It was that obedience, it was that call that he was sold out to. Notice... uh, Verse 5, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am He, Jesus said. And, and then down in verse 7 again, again He asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> I told you I'm He, Jesus answered. If you're looking for Me, let these men go. This happened so that the words He had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave Me. So the picture is, He says to them, uh, Let these guys go. I'm the one you want. He was already. He had been willing to die. It wasn't an issue for him. That was his heart. He was called to die. He was ready to die. So he was willing to surrender right there. Just uttering a single word, it would take nothing for him to overcome these soldiers. But that was not his purpose. His purpose was to face the call. His purpose was to obey the Father. And and that's what he did. That's, That's what he came for. And... That's what they were so amazed by. But now notice Peter, Simon Peter, who had a sword. You know, he's always working with Pete. Uh, we all relate to him. He drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus, so we see his name here. So Peter starts swinging. Jesus is ready to uh, surrender, but not Peter. Think about how crazy that is. Peter trying to protect Jesus. That's what happened. And he's swinging that sword. And Jesus said, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Hmm. Peter pulled out that sword and he was ready to strike. Jesus was ready to surrender. Man, we're so much like Peter. God says, keep the sword in the sheath. Don't pull it out. Don't swing. Trust me through this. Trust me through this suffering. Trust me through this time of the cross. Trust me through this difficulty. Trust me in this crushing. Don't pull out the sword and swing it. Maybe it involves traffic because we can all relate to uh, how difficult it is to drive in a lot of traffic. You know, where you have those times where somebody's trying to get in uh, your lane and there's all this backed up traffic and everybody's just as close as they can get to the car ahead of them and, you know, you're thinking, buddy, I'm not letting you in. I've been waiting in this traffic 
And I'm not letting you in because this is my place. This is my place on the road and at this moment this belongs to me and I'm not letting you in here. And God says, uh, Todd, why don't you put that sword back in the sheath? Just slow down. Okay, so, you, you know, you might be 15 seconds later than you would have gotten there. But it'll be okay. Trust me. So much of life, something happens to us, the difficulty, the crushing, it's pull out that sword and start swinging. And the Father says, no, that's not my plan. Don't start swinging, but trust me. Now, let me close here with uh, just a couple of thoughts. First, for every disciple, there's a purpose to be fulfilled. God has a purpose for what we face. Part of God's call in following Him. He's got something that He's trying to do that we can't fully grasp, that we can't fully understand, but it's His purpose. Secondly, every purpose has a cup to be drunk. When we follow Him, He crushes us so that we'll stay close. So that we'll grow to be like Jesus. So that He'll make us a follower that's like Him. Remember Paul, and turn me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul had this vision. And he said, uh, quite honestly, it puffed him up because he was able to see what a person's not able to see. And he explained it in saying that uh, God sent a thorn to keep him from being puffed up. Verse 7, he says, To keep me from becoming conceited, Because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Third, he says, in every cup there's pain to accept and endure. God's at work through it. What was that thorn for Paul? Well, some people say it's because he had badass eyesight. I've heard it's because he had migraines. I've heard it's because he had severe rheumatoid arthritis. I don't know, but I do know that Paul saw that suffering, that being crushed has God working in him, that he had a purpose to fulfill, to make him more like Christ, to do that work. And what was the heart for? It it was to become like Jesus. And uh, I guess the question, coming back to John chapter 18 there, it really struck me in verse 11. He ends it, he says to Peter, Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? We think of that as Jesus battling with his humanity and his deity as he's headed to go to the cross out of obedience. But what if I asked you that question? Are you willing to drink the cup that God's laid before you to fulfill his purpose? To fulfill what he wants to do in order for you to follow him? Only you know what that cup may entail. And only you can drink it. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for an opportunity to look at your word, an opportunity to look at Jesus. And he was willing to obey, to follow, 
to drink from the cup. And we're called to be like Jesus. What does that mean? Only you know for each of us here. What's it mean to be sold out to you? To follow you fully? To take out all the restraints? To say yes to what you ask? Wherever he leads, I will go. The goal is to follow. Jesus showed us what that meant even to the cross. What's that mean for me? What's it mean for each one here? God, have your way as we come to this time to respond to you. What do you want of us, Lord? Do you want us to pray at the altar? Do you want us to share with your people a decision on our hearts? Is there a cup that we're dealing with now that you want us to drink? Give us courage to trust you through it and in obedience to follow. And uh, thank you for the example of Jesus. May he who lives in us get us through it, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.